What is the Xbox expansion pass? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, hello. Greetings. I am 343 Guilty Spark, monitor of Installation 04. Greetings to all of you reclaimers here on Xbox Expansion Pass. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Tim DeDouble. Yes, this is my real voice. And yes, I would be there, but you blew me out of the sky. Congratulations on this, man. This is momentous. Almost 100 episodes of this. I can't believe it. Oh, I remember when I was 100, so very, very long ago. <laughs> Xbox Expansion. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 98 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, September 5th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we set expectations for the upcoming Xbox Showcase in the Tokyo Game Show. We'll postulate the return of Alan Wake with remastered rumors surfacing, and Far Cry 6 impressions are now out in the wild. After that, we'll speak with Scott Miller, the founder of Apogee Entertainment, whom in the 90s were known as the original indie publisher. We'll discuss their upcoming title, Residual, and their return to indie publishing. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the shout-out goes to content creator Neo Gamespark. Neo's always in my social timelines, spreading positivity, going out of his way to be kind, share the likes, the retweets, the love with content creators, myself included. And in general, it's just a feel-good thing. So Neo, I don't know if you listen to XEP, but if you do, I really appreciate what it is you're doing out there in the gaming space. And if not, I'm always happy to send good vibes your way. You are appreciated, my friend. Well, guys, we've got plenty of Xbox gaming talk to get to, but I thought a bit of XEP housekeeping was in order, given that we are on episode 98, and episode 100 is coming down the pipeline. This week, of course, we have the interview with Apogee Entertainment. Next week, we're talking to Kritzia Bios, who is a voice actor that I think you will be very impressed with once you hear what it is she's worked on, is working on, and some teases to future content throughout the gaming world, including that of Gotham Knights, which is really cool. That said, uh, as far as episode 100 goes, all of the plans that I had laid out uh, have fallen through the wayside, and I simply don't know what it is I'm going to be doing to celebrate at this point. Now, this is not some uh, terrible thing. I'm in no way upset about it. In fact, of late, since returning to work and seeing so many of uh, my students uh, back kind of in their natural elements of school, but having to be masked up, some of them terrified of getting sick, others uh, coming from homes where they don't even value the science of, of vaccinations. Uh, it has really put a lot of things into perspective. And so uh, as much as I've been stressing trying to grow XEP, celebrate episode 100, lock in an interview here and there, get guests, all that stuff's been kind of put in perspective. 
And in many ways, it's like a weight has been lifted from my shoulders in seeing what is truly important and what is meant to be relaxing and a hobby. And I always say that I want XEP to be my hobby and something that I really enjoy doing. And I have. But when you have like a, a big monumentous thing for a solo endeavor like XEP and then you're you're landing on episode 100, you want to blow the socks off everybody, have a big guest, talk to Xbox proper and see if they can't get you somebody or, you know, talk to the biggest gaming people, the biggest, um, the biggest anything, right? Like any of that could have happened, but nothing has just worked out the way I was hoping it would. And all of that has felt just fine and okay, and I'm not upset. Um, and I say that sincerely. I'm, I'm bummed on, like, one sense, sure, but I'm really not, like, losing my mind over it. And so uh, it might be just me for episode 100, and that is totally fine because if you've been with me for this show, you know that why it was started, you know the reasons it was started, and you know the goals of the show are simply to help celebrate uh, positivity and gaming and approach gaming news from the angle of, of Xbox coverage. How does this impact the Xbox ecosystem, as it were, whatever the news may be? And um, I feel we've been doing that for 100 episodes, and I'm really, really proud of that. I met some incre- incredible people, and I plan for the show to keep going. It simply may be that episode 100 passes by with a wink and a nod and an appreciative um, thank you to all the people that listen and no major guest, And that's totally fine with me, especially after the last few weeks. I feel like we've gotten a lot of great people onto the show. In fact, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this upcoming interview with Apogee and then Critzia as well. Critzia was just a special uh, interview. I really enjoyed hearing from her. But, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to give away a controller over on the old Twitterverse. I have one of those uh, Sonic Blue controllers. I accidentally bought two when the Series X came out, and so I still have one sealed up. Uh, unopened, and I'm thinking I might give away that due to... So if you have an iTunes review in, you'll be able to enter. As long as you have an iTunes review of the show, you'll be able to to enter on Twitter. I'll set that up accordingly. Just keep an eye out on the Twitter space for that one. But yeah, as far as housekeeping goes, that's what I'm I'm looking forward to with episode 100. Uh, I'll also say of late, I have started to grow out of some of the content creators that I used to listen to for a long time, and by no means is that a bad thing either. We all grow and move on, and I'm looking for all-around content creation video game coverage, if that were to make sense. I used to really listen to a lot of like IGN shows and Kind of Funny, and um, I've just kind of grown away from that in some ways. I've discovered Skill Up, which I really enjoy. Todd Oxter recommended Arlo and uh, Kevin Kenson, and I really enjoy that as well now. Um, but if you have content creators that uh, celebrate gaming, bring positivity, uh, bring analytics to Bring, bring analytics, bring analysis to their coverage. I really enjoy that. I'm celebrating the return of What's Good Games. That's been really nice to have. Um, they're a mainstay in my, my rotation as well. Um, but I would love some recommendations for gaming coverage that comes from an analytical approach as well. Uh, you know, as we all grow, we grow in and out of content. You may have grown uh, into this show or out of it at some point, and that is absolutely fine. No one should be slanted or slighted uh, in that respect because... You know, if we're all in it for the right reasons, we'll find things we like and things that are not for us. And I'm totally down with that um, the whole way. That's that's uh, that's so uh, those are my calls to action. Uh, drop an iTunes review for episode before episode 100 and I'll be mega appreciative there. Uh, if you could give me some suggestions for who to listen to uh, and know that I appreciate all of you listening. You know, that's kind of the stuff I wanted to drop at the top of the show as opposed to the back. So there you go. Yeah. The gaming news. There is a lot 
a lot to talk about of late. Uh, one of them being PlayStation State of Play and Xbox Tokyo Game Show. And and I linked these for a couple reasons. First and foremost, uh, I want to talk about the PlayStation State of Play here on this Xbox show because we're expected to have uh, some pretty big news, all things considered, for the PlayStation space, and that's likely going to impact how Microsoft does things going forward. Now, Sony went ahead and announced that their state of play would be a 30-minute event that would take place on Thursday, September 9th, and would focus on Deathloop, indies, and third-party titles. Deathloop is in that strange space where it was it's being made by Bethesda, who is now owned by Xbox, and Microsoft is honoring the contract, of course. A lot of people are very excited about what Deathloop brings to the table. Dave Fenoy, of course, voicing one of the characters. Uh, I have noted that several times as I listen to different uh, coverage pieces for it. I know that stands out. The gameplay looks really cool and very reminiscent of Dishonored, which is appropriate given the developers. But a lot of people are looking to this game not just as a PlayStation exclusive, of which it is a timed exclusive, but of what it means from Bethesda going forward in terms of their quality, their efforts, and things they might be bringing to the Xbox ecosystem down the line. For now, though, PlayStation fans should absolutely celebrate. This game looks great. I'm anxious to see how the state of play uh, changes perceptions for anybody out there. I've been rather lukewarm on wanting to play it, Despite being impressed by it, it hasn't looked like my type of game with that kind of resetting re re of time and kind of going back through. But, but, uh, State of Play might really change that. There are also said to be a number of indie titles, and PlayStation has had an awkward relationship with a lot of indie developers of late. They started off very strongly with the PlayStation 4 generation and indies, and of late that has waned, and there's been a lot of mixed messaging for how they feel about indies and Microsoft for their part has seemingly been you know pouring on the love to the indie space as you would do if you're not in first place with your triple A catalog. I think also the the third parties that we're set to see here including perhaps maybe uh, the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy remasters. Some people are suggesting Call of Duty Vanguard will be there which I'm not sure will happen. Um, it, it's almost almost you know, clear that we're going to get an Avengers update with Spider-Man, seeing as how Spider-Man is a specific exclusive character to the PlayStation community. I'm interested, of course, as an Avengers fan to know how Crystal Dynamics and Square are going to handle Spider-Man being exclusive there, given that, you know, fans have been asking for crossplay. They just released the Wakanda expansion. Uh, moreover, it's, a, it's the business side of it, because Spider-Man could very well determine the fate of Avengers, the the game, as it were, in the business sense. Now, the presence of Spider-Man, how well done he is, could really determine a lot of things because that character will bring in a lot of people, but will they come in and then immediately bounce? You know, that's the question. If you want a third-person action game, uh, a Black Panther game, you've got it if you play Avengers, but if you want a looter shooter, that's eh, way more up for debate, and I hear that. Um, yeah, I want to see how they navigate the business of that. As far as the Call of Duty, you know, Vanguard being there... I, I, maybe, maybe, there's a lot, that game is coming in so hot, I'm very curious to know just what's going to happen with it. Uh, while I've heard a lot of struggles about Battlefield, which is an Xbox partner, I've heard a lot of difficulty there, I really wonder where Call of Duty lives between Battlefield and Halo Infinite. There's a lot of questions to be answered there. It's going to be an interesting fall, no doubt. With so many rumors swirling around Grand Theft Auto as well, 
is the state of play where we see that happen? Does Rockstar want to, you know, really solidify their relationship with PlayStation going through this PlayStation 5 generation? They've been very close with PlayStation uh, over the last few years. They've certainly not shunned Xbox, but they seem to have been more keen to work with Sony. So there's a lot of, of wondering of what kind of third parties we might see in a 30-minute window on a Sony stage, as it were metaphorical stage of course um, and with Deathloop in there that presents a little bit of an asterisk a lot of fans myself included are wondering if we see God of War Ragnarok there or if any new infra- information about Horizon Forbidden West comes out um, I bring these up because they could very well paint the landscape of competition for 2022 you know where does Xbox put their AAA titles in competition with Horizon Forbidden West I have to wonder uh, if Xbox even tries to compete with Horizon, given that you know in November, December, they've got Forza Horizon 5 and then Halo Infinite coming out, will they try to compete with PlayStation in any particular way? I see them giving Horizon Forbidden West a wide berth. Uh, I don't see Xbox trying to release anything major alongside it. However, announcements to com- compete, uh, announcements to occupy news space might be coming in and around that, and it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Um, God of War Ragnarok, which is among my most anticipated titles for next year, if it makes next year, which I don't think it's going to. Um, I really want to know anything about that, but I don't think that you would hear about God of War Ragnarok uh, or anything on that level at a state of play. I think you save that for a Game Awards, and I think it's the Game Awards where we see some of the heavy hitters of 2022, be it from Nintendo, Xbox, PlayStation, or any of our major third-party publishers like EA or Activision. Whatever it is they might have, I think they're more likely to show off their biggest and best at a Game Awards. Give it to Keeley, who has a bigger audience than than Xbox would on their own socials or their own spaces, than PlayStation would on their own socials, their own spaces. Um, So, you know, a a lot of interesting stuff there. I have heard thoughts of a Bluepoint acquisition, and I don't think you would hear about that in this state of play. I don't think there's enough smoke uh, before the fire in in this small window of time. We know that Bluepoint works closely with them. I fully expect Bluepoint to be acquired at some point by PlayStation, but I feel like we'd be hearing more about that at this point in time if indeed it was going to be happening. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, there's a lot to... By the time you're hearing the next episode of XCP, we'll have these answers. But I love hearing acquisition talk and just what exclusivity deals mean because then it means we get to kind of break down, you know, is there a tit-for-tat? Does the other competition... Does the other competitor, I should say, do anything to build competition? These are the, the fun elements of it. Uh, while there's a state of play happening, the Tokyo Game Show uh, is set to happen towards the end of September and Microsoft will have a presence there. We know that. That's a big deal for Xbox to be present at the Tokyo Game Show because we've seen Phil Spencer go out of his way several times to talk about strengthening their hold uh, on studios in Japan. They want to to build relationships with studios in, in Japan. We know that that's part of the Bethesda acquisition was to get, I want to say Ghostwire Tokyo. Is that is that the right studio? Oh my gosh. Terrible, terrible job on my part planning notes but they want to have development studios in japan specifically to build a relationship with japanese and wider asian audiences Um, that said aaron greenberg was very quick to come out on twitter and set appropriate expectations for the tokyo game show Uh, and he said quote since you asked tokyo game show is for our players in japan and across asia 
Expect regionally relevant updates, but no major reveals or announcements as our game teams are focused on continuing to ship big releases across October, November, and December, end quote. And I think that's great. I'm very glad that he came out and addressed this. Every single showcase, every single announcement slate, every single time that Xbox or PlayStation or EA or anybody could have an announcement, it can't be the biggest, best thing every time. And I I wish that we as a gaming community would kind of rally around that sentiment. It need not be the biggest thing every time. Uh, for this one, I want to see Xbox successful in Japan because that means bigger and better things for Xbox worldwide, for gamers worldwide. I think the cloud announcements that came in last week about uh, playing Gen 9 stuff on Gen 8 hardware, you'll be able to play next-gen games via cloud on last-gen hardware. To me, that's a huge win and a huge boon, and I think that's going to help enter into uh, a lot of gaming markets that they weren't previously in, including Asia. That's not to say that you're going to have a lot of Xbox Ones in Korea, in Japan, because we know that's not the case. But it is going to mean that you're having cloud infrastructure built upon and spread throughout the world and improved consistently over time, which would mean that you can be playing Xbox games whenever, however, wherever you would like. My online internet nemesis, Adam Leonard from the Megadads, they just launched a fall preview. Congratulations to them. Uh, he tweeted out that he, there is no Xbox game that he was interested in uh, and thus hasn't bought an Xbox Series S or X, uh, isn't interested in, in any of their games really, but the ones that he has he's been able to tackle via Game Pass on his PC. Uh, and soon people like him that have similar sentiments can do the same thing via the cloud anywhere they like. And we shouldn't be upset about that. You know what I mean? We should not be upset about that at all. We're welcoming more people into our ecosystem to play games whenever, wherever, however they like on whatever devices they are able. I'm down with that sentiment. I am down with that sentiment. I took no offense uh, in his statement or those like them because we just want people to play games. What do I care what plastic box they're using as long as I'm able to play with them? Uh, Crossplay being the biggest thing. If you're a third-party game, make crossplay. I can tell you, I, I cannot tell you how frustrating it is to have to worry about what platform a friend is playing on. That is just, it, it's just mind-boggling to me. We know now that crossplay can be done, can be done with ease. Um, a lot of people point Sony a lot of blame. In some cases, it's justified. In others, it's just exaggerant internet talk. But we know that crossplay is so doable. We shouldn't be charging for it. We should be helping players connect with one another because that builds ecosystems and rising tides lift all boats. Why do we not want that, right? Why would we not want that? I'm looking at you, Avengers. My goal was to say Avengers uh, way too many times for any rational content creator to say during a show. All right, let's take a break from that one and then move into Alan Wake Remastered. <laughs> Goodness gracious, a Taiwanese outlet has made the digital faux pas in releasing, or leaking I should say, that Alan Wake Remastered is coming as early as October 5th. That is a month from the time of this recording. By technicality, it is not officially revealed. Uh, who knows, by the time you're listening to this, it will be. But multiple outlets have confirmed via their own independent sources that Alan Wake Remastered is a thing. I think this is a totally expected announcement. We knew Alan Wake, despite being an Xbox 360 exclusive, we knew that when they 
and recovered that brand when Control found success with its DLC, with it with its game proper. That Remedy wanted to see Alan Wake reborn and brought to new gamers. Uh, and so the leaks are showing both Xbox versions and PlayStation versions. I have no problem with this either. I think it's awesome. More people need to play Alan Wake. I absolutely loved that game when it first came out. I'm anxious to hear, or rather I should say to see, how it has aged, how it has... Uh, how this this major exclusive of its time will now be looked back on when we play it with kind of modern expectations. Will it be like Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning where, you know, you boot it up and you start and you're like, yes, I loved this game back in the day. And then you start playing it and you're like, oh boy, oh boy, games have come a long way since. And then you put it down after an hour or so. Or will I be as enthralled as I once was with it? I think Alan Wake is one of the best games ever made uh, in its time right? Will it have aged well? Do people expect it to be like Control? Because it is not. This is a narrative story game. You're a Ghostbuster with a flashlight playing through a very, very impressive narrative with a lot of acting, and it's meant to be experienced, not to be rushed. There are moments of this game that are pure action. There are moments of this game that are pure horror. There are moments of this game where it is a walking simulator meant for you to contemplate the decisions you've made. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how Alan Wake has evolved and just what it brings to the table. I hope that it reignites the Alan Wake brand. And no, indeed, I am not worried that it is on multiple consoles. I want more people playing Alan Wake because I want more Alan Wake. So if this interests you, please reach out and let me know at InsipidGhost on Twitter. Let me know if this game is for you, if you have fond memories like I do of Alan Wake. If you're expecting that we'll play a full-on remaster, or is this going to be, you know, upscaled kind of on the hardware and we're calling it a day? You know, you never know with remasters, uh, but we'll we'll see there. I'm this is a day one buy for me. Like the moment it happens, I'm I'm buying this bad boy. Um, I want this thing to happen, and at this point, I'm expecting it that it is real because I've seen multiple outlets verify through their independent sources. So a Taiwanese leak. Looks to be dropping in early October. October 5th is what I saw uh, in a few spaces, and it is no longer Xbox exclusive. We're not upset about that. We're very happy that this game is back. Let me just remind everyone. Hmm. Uh, Additionally, Far Cry 6 previews are now out into the wild. It looks like more Far Cry, which is what we expected it to be. Uh, There's some changes to the bullet shooting system in which you need to alter your ammo type to be the inverse of whatever armor that the person is wearing and in in most of the previews people weren't really keen on it they said it was more an annoyance than anything else i do not like unloading clips into enemies reloading unloading more clips until they eventually fall by the wayside that was a problem i had with the division i very much feel that like if you shoot somebody in the head in a video game it should do crit damage and kill them Um, whereas in like the division you would unload clips i've seen some coverage where if the, the game player at the time did not match the proper ammo type, it took, they just unloaded clip after clip after clip. And I have no interest in that. That said, I've, I've, seen, I've heard it other ways. I am very lukewarm on Far Cry. I did reach out and request a code. Uh, you never know if you're going to get them. But I'm very, very much thinking that if a code doesn't come through, I'm going to hold off on coverage for this one. I don't see myself in a crowded October with Back for Blood, Alan Wake, and... Uh, a couple other games dropping that I'm very interested in. I don't see myself setting time aside for more Far Cry. I was really tired of that formula after uh, playing Far Cry 5, which I didn't enjoy all that much, and the drug trips were just not my jam. 
I don't think I'll be giving you guys personal impressions until the game goes on sale and I have time or a code comes through and I feel obligated to provide you know worthwhile coverage and set aside the time. So that's kind of where my head is at with Far Cry. Um, I'm curious, are you guys looking forward to Far Cry? Is this something you're actually keen and excited about? I'm not sure this is the window of time where I care about Far Cry any longer. I think with a crowded fall of some heavy hitters that I'm very interested in, some AA and indie titles I'm very interested in, this would have been a better January game. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of games I think would be better January, February, March games, but uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe not February of 2022, because goodness, that is a crowded, crowded time. Uh, I, when I look at the February 2022 list, I think to myself, all right, three of these are getting delayed, because that is a it is a packed slate for sure. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, Far Cry, it's there. It's a thing. All right. Before we get to our interview with Apogee Entertainment, let's rock some listener mail here. This one comes from Sean McGorry. Uh, it was a great question that it made me scratch my head and go, hmm. And I'm wondering if Todd Oxtra doesn't write in after the show and have some thoughts as well. Uh, it says, what happened to all the Nintendo Xbox links? They seem to have completely died. Game Pass on Switch, Nintendo using it as their, Mario drawn as Master Chief, anything for Tokyo Game Show? Or is this rumor run wild? Uh, that's a good question. We really did hear a lot about Xbox and Nintendo in 2020 and 2020, 2019, I should say. And in large part, a lot of those rumors have died down. We have seen a couple times during Phil Spencer interviews that Switch is on his shelf. He says it was a gift from Nintendo who their, their American offices are just down the street from Xbox. Um, but yeah, you're right. We haven't really seen a whole lot happening as far as relationship building. Of course, you did have Banjo and Minecraft Steve in, um, what is it, Smash Brothers, which is cool. But yeah, we've not really heard much about the Nintendo Xbox rumors of late. Uh, in large part, I remember a release not too long ago, within the last month, of documents that said essentially... Nintendo is not really interested in having Game Pass on their hardware for the time being, and Microsoft is moving on to make sure that they can get Game Pass in other places. This, I think, was tied to documents that came out of the Apple lawsuit, which is interesting. I mean, it's interesting, but like, all right. Um, it's odd to think how much that, that rumor, rumor mill was going, and now we no longer hear hardly anything about it. Uh, I think as... Smash Brothers dies down, so too does a lot of the surrounding hoopla of the characters. I know that I personally am not interested in Smash Brothers at all, unless it's Doom Guy or, or Master Chief come to the game. Um, just too many, too many sword fighters, and it, it really wasn't for me. I, I don't like the way the Switch is being handled. But I think that that is where a lot of the Xbox rumors are tied together. But there was a lot to celebrate there. To see Nintendo and Xbox getting along is great. With Tokyo Game Show coming up, would you see something? I don't really think so. Not based on uh, Aaron Greenberg's wording about the show. I think they would tease something a little bit more. However, set expectations accordingly, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's a great question, Sean, but I don't know the answer. And I think because I don't even have an inkling of the answer, perhaps these uh, rumors should be null and void for, for a bit there. Good question. The next one comes from... Mr. Seamus Seamus, the famous Seamus, the most famous Seamus that I've ever met, and my best friend, way better than Mr. Badbit, I might add. He says, what are your thoughts about companies quickly changing their ideas when they receive backlash? Do you immediately forgive them for their error in judgment? Uh, Seamus is likely referencing the 
the walkback that Sony had to provide regarding Horizon Forbidden West. Initially, they had stated uh, wording that made it it implied that if you bought Horizon Forbidden West on PS4 and then purchased a PS5, that game would upgrade with you for free. Uh, and then it came out that that wasn't the case and fan backlash online. Sony reversed that decision. And now there's going to be a free upgrade path for users on PS4. They, this is very similar, the way that fans reacted and then changed, something was changed very quickly to when Xbox Live Gold was announced to be doubling in price, or rather I should say not bundled for a discount, and fans went nuts. Fans went absolutely nuts. And I think companies should quickly change their ideas when things are not received well, and fans should be holding companies' feet to the fire. It doesn't matter what company it is. I was outraged and uh, annoyed to no end at that Xbox Live price hike. It did not affect me because I was a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber and am, and so it would not have impacted me. But it's important that as gamers within an ecosystem, we help the stewards of our ecosystem hear the calls for change, hear the calls for, uh, I'm going to say the word righteousness, but that sounds like I'm being all high and mighty. I just mean like being responsible and fair to your consumers, to your customers, the people that make you money, the people that spend their money with you. You need to make sure you treat them right. And I think it's important we hold companies' feet to the fire on that. We also need to be objective in those things. Uh, it is an absolute win for Sony fans that PlayStation capitulated and backed down on their their charging $10 more for an upgrade path for their PS4 users. The need for that dwindles with every PS5 sold, right? Like there's less people affected the more PS5s that are sold. That said, what about the 110 million users? Every generation, users are left behind. You can look at the number of units sold and how companies handle that. I mean, there's 110 plus million PS4s out there. There are roughly 50 million Xbox Ones out there. And this is the first time that we're seeing companies try this cross-gen thing for an extended period of time. And in Xbox's case, trying to have this cross-gen appeal so that old hardware isn't useless by way of the cloud. But if you had a Super, if you had a Nintendo, if you wanted to play Super Nintendo games, you had to upgrade. There was no if, and, or but there. If you had a PlayStation uh, and you wanted to play PlayStation 2 games, you had to upgrade. There's a little caveat in there that PlayStation at one point themselves was building in back compat versions, and then they started that with PS3 and then abandoned it and abandoned it entirely on PS4. It's just a changing landscape, but really and truly, consumers and gamers have more access to companies than they ever did before thanks to social media. They should be holding companies' feet to the fire and making sure they're doing right, and they call out uh, tomfoolery when they see it. Just keep in mind, if your social feed, and I'm talking to anybody at this point, if your social feed is all defending of a company or all attacking a company, then maybe we need to readjust our, our alignment and our values there. If your social feed is all t attacking players over something and going after people that like something different than you, well, then you're a tool, guys. <clears throat> now, we've got Daniel M. Daniel M. writes it with a great question. How'd you like that pregnant pause, guys? Just thought I'd get you a little bit. Uh, he says, what skins would you like to see in Halo Infinite third party or even first party like Doom Guy? So he's referring to the idea that special skins might come to Halo Infinite. Think about that samurai armor. Would they do armor inspired by other franchises as well? I believe this came from a Jez Corden tweet in which he was trying to incite the fans about, you know, which franchise was better, Halo or Gears, and that he wanted Gears armor in Halo. Uh, Dano, 
I have long been a proponent of seeing seeing cross pollination with franchises. I think that's really important. I wanted to see more Halo in Gears Five. I loved seeing those two Halo Reach characters in Halo Five. I wanted more of that. In Forza Horizon 5, we darn well better have more than one Halo level. We should be riding through a bridge over some Sea of Thieves battles. We should be going through an area in which there's a Gears of War uh, you know, monster out there doing its thing, fighting through a Brumac. We should be driving through all these things. I want to see cross-pollination in everything. Sea of Thieves does this very well. They could do better by having some outfits inspired by different things. As far as Halo Infinite armor, go nuts. Have some fun. Keep the core of Halo, but let it be armor inspired by Gears. Let it be armor inspired by Sea of Thieves, inspired by Forza Horizon. I'll fight in Halo looking like a Toyota Corolla. You think I won't? This is a free-to-play multiplayer experience, and if you can keep the core of what is Halo there, you need to let fans play in that space and have some fun. We've seen it be done successfully with games like Fortnite. We've seen it be done successfully in small quantities with Forza Horizon 4 and in Gears of War 5, but let people play with it. Let them enjoy that space. It need not be such a pure space that you can't um, you can't have some fun in the multiplayer slate, you know? Uh, Battlefront 2 went through this. People were like, can we play as a pink Darth Vader? That might have been extreme, but why not let Clone War troopers fight against um, Republic-era troopers? Like, why would you not allow uh, different things to happen, like resistance faction battling against rebel factions? It's a video game. Well, apply that same logic to Halo. Let it happen. I want to see Doom Guy for sure. I want to see Master Chief. Uh, I'm sorry, not Master Chief. I want to see Spartans dressed up in armor that looks like it's out of Fallout, as long as with but with a Halo twist. That that would be awesome. Why not do that? That's exactly what we should do. If a Spartan doesn't Dasrodami with a, with a punch off of the ring, what are we even doing? What are we even doing? I don't know. I don't know. Last question comes from my man, Mr. Dano. Uh, different from Daniel M., I might add. Dano says, Has Insipid Ghost ever claimed to have seen or felt a ghost nearby? Dano, let me regale you. I have felt the presence of a ghost. I have. I have. I've, I've felt the presence of something otherworldly in my life. Do I believe in ghosts? Not as it were. Not as you might think with your Casper-level stuff, but... The world is vast, and we're all interconnected in ways that we can't even see. So why not think there is a plane of existence out there that exists overlaid with ours? I'm talking about the Force, Dano. The Force is real. All right, guys. That's it for XEP this week. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's it for my portion of XEP this week. We're going to be talking to the founder of Apogee Entertainment. And if you're wondering who Apogee is or what Apogee is, they were back in the 90s the original indie publisher. They published games like Doom, Duke Nukem, things like that. They went out and and did the thing back in the original 90s. And now they're back and they've got a new game that they're publishing called Residual, which is super cool and I'm really in on as far as the art style goes. I've not played it at the time of this recording yet but I know I plan to. They've got a couple games coming out, called uh, one of them being called Elements, which Patricia Somerset is voicing a character in. You might know her from Breath of the Wild as Zelda. Uh, they've got a lot of stuff going. Apogee Entertainment looking kind of cool, fun in the indie space there. I think you'll enjoy this interview. I found it very enlightening, and I really enjoyed myself with it. Now that's it for my portion. You guys have a wonderful week. Wonderful week. You can find me on Twitter at insipidghost. You can email me insipidghost at gmail.com. I always love getting those emails. Have a wonderful rest of your week. 
Take care, everybody. I am very fortunate to welcome now to the show Scott Miller, founder of the newly reformed Apogee Entertainment. Scott, welcome to XEP. Definitely glad to be here, Luke. I'm ecstatic to have you on. I know that Apogee is uh, in its reformation and we're reintroducing players to it. Uh, I would love it if you would give listeners a bit of background uh, on just what Apogee Entertainment was and uh, what it is you're looking forward to being in the future. Well, we originally started as just Apogee Software back in the 19, early 1990s. And uh, back then we kind of got our start uh, doing some very simple little, uh, you know, games that, you know, had four colors or you know, it was CGA mode. Uh, then we got to EGA, and we we kind of really hit it big when we started working with some uh, outside uh, teams like uh, id Software. We actually helped put together id Software back in the day and funded their first game, Commander Keen, and that took off really well. And uh, that really allowed uh, both our company and their company to grow. And uh, you know, we also did Wolfenstein 3D, which is the first of the first-person shooters mm-hmm. to ever uh, be released. We uh, created uh, the original Duke Nukem back in 1992. Uh, and, uh, so we, we were actually working with a lot of external authors back, back in the day, uh, funding projects, helping design them, do all the marketing, do all the distribution. You know, we were using, uh, BBS systems and later the internet for our distribution back in the day. And we were the company that kind of pioneered that whole, whole into things. That's like uh, old shareware style stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Back then it was called shareware for sure. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> So uh, in 1994, we created a new division called 3D Realms because we saw that uh, 3D games were really the future, and we wanted to have a label dedicated just to that. And our first game we released under that label was Terminal Velocity, and then uh, then we did Duke Nukem 3D, uh, Shadow Warrior, uh, Max Payne, Prey. So a lot of games. Um, and uh, we stopped using the Apogee label. And um, <clears throat> yeah, 3D Realms continued, but uh, my current partner, Terry Nagy, um, he was able to get the full rights to Apogee from 3D Realms uh, a couple years ago. And he approached me and said he wanted to relaunch the, the, the label. <clears throat> and uh, so I was all for it. And so we decided to relaunch strictly as an indie level publisher and find, um, you know, indie teams that are out there that, uh, probably have never published before um, and <clears throat> but they have they have like a very promising project and so we felt like you know if we could we could find these hidden nuggets that are out there mm-hmm. um, you know we could uh, you know bring them extra funding uh, bring them marketing uh, uh, do the, you know do the trailers for them uh, make sure their games get ported on all the systems do all the, the quality assurance and localization you know, just handle all that stuff that publishers typically do, but we'll be doing it for these indie teams to help them get their companies started. And, and this is kind of what we were doing back in the 90s. You know, we basically got its software started. Um, we got Parallax software started. They did uh, Descent. We got um, Remedy started with their first game, Death Rally, and then, of course, Max Payne. So we were doing a lot of this back in the 90s, and it's, we're kind of like going back to our roots by doing it now. 
certainly seems so. I mean, when you look at the pantheon of games that you guys have uh, really helped start, some of them doing very well today, others uh, have been rebooted themselves. I mean, the history of Apogee has to be both exciting and feel like a bit of a weight there. Is is there any pressure that you guys feel based on the previous catalog, or is it strictly looking forward? Yeah, I don't feel any pressure whatsoever. Um, I mean, it's good to have that sort of, uh, sort of the glory years of success from the 90s and 2000s behind us because that's really helped us sort of relaunch the new Apogee Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's amazing. Every developer that we've approached, they know the name. Uh, and, you know, uh, I would have thought that uh, for a lot of people, especially the younger developers, that name's kind of forgotten. But weirdly, they seem to know the name. And if they don't know the name, but so far that hasn't actually happened, they'll definitely know the games that, you know, that we can talk about, like Max Payne and Duke and Rise of the Triad and uh, Prey, you know. So all these games are, you know, people people obviously recognize. So uh, when we approach them, you know, we, we start off, on the right foot uh, in terms of like, you know, having good credibility right off the bat <clears throat> and good awareness. You know, we're not just some, we don't come across as just some new company trying to, you know, get into the game, you know, late stage, you know, we've got a big track record of history. Uh, we clearly have experience. So it really does give us a leg up. Certainly seems so. I mean, it certainly seems so. And for any, uh, any listener that goes and checks out Apogee, uh, Apogee's YouTube channel, you'll see several indie titles there that that range from top-down pixelated games to 3D zombie shooters. There's a lot to look forward to, I think, in in the Apogee catalog. Uh, To go from the first indie publisher now to this rebirth is exciting. Uh, What was the first project that you guys took on on this new label? Well, it was Residual. Um, That was a game that uh, I happened to see that was on uh kickstarter and um uh it uh, I, it just really captured my imagination i liked sort of the retro pixelated uh look of it um and i was able to take a look at the the developer's uh video blogs and he published it he was publishing like one a week uh very high quality like 10 minute video blogs you know really kind of showing behind the scenes of how his development was going and everything i liked the theme <clears throat> you know had all sorts of uh, different elements to it, you know, exploration, crafting. It was procedurally generated. It, 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 he had uh, decided to go sort of like with a non-violent style of gameplay. So it's more about puzzle solving than uh, you know shooting down creatures on these planets that you that you discover. Mm-hmm. Um, it just had lots of layers to it. So um, I was really taken by it. And uh, when I talked to him, you know, he he's he's like the 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 one developer who's um, got quite a track record. I think residual is his 10th game. Um, <clears throat> and they're all kind of done in that same sort of hand-drawn pixel format. Uh, and he's really got a system down, a development system down. And uh, he really understands gameplay at this point. So, I mean, he's he was the first one we went after. And uh, we were really lucky to get him, I think, because, like I said, he had already released a bunch of games on his own and, and, um, and had it down. He didn't really necessarily need us but um he kind of saw the value in you know uh getting ported to the different systems you know getting some extra money to extend development uh us bringing on uh, like we brought on a voice acting talent to sort of bring life to one of the characters in the game this little robot that kind of follows you around adds like some humor to the game 
so we did quite a bit to uh we brought quite a bit to the game um and um i think it worked out really well well for any listener scott keeps using the word he and he's referring to the one-man developer behind orange pixel who is making residual pascal that's a dope thing to be a one-man developer is that uh an exciting kind of tip of the hat to get to work with somebody that's kind of the sole proprietor of their work yeah and uh you know that's not that uncommon nowadays it seems like um really all the teams that we're working with are either one to three people. Um, and what's just completely mind blowing nowadays is that that's even possible. Um, <clears throat> for instance, uh, you know, I guess later on, we're going to talk about a game elements. Um, and, uh, and when we first saw that game on steam, it was like, damn, uh, you know, I mean, that's a, that's an impressive looking game. Uh, and then to find out it's just one guy was really kind of mind blowing because to do what he's doing, uh, you know, back in the nineties would have taken a team of, you know, 20 to 30 people. Um, but the, but nowadays, this is what makes the indie scene so exciting nowadays is that, you know, the engines are out there. They're very mature. They're very easy to use. Um, they do a lot of the work for you. Uh, and there's, you know, marketplaces out there that, uh, that you can buy, you know, if you need a certain AI system, you can get that. And it's not going to be that expensive. Uh, if you need a certain animation system, you can get that. If you need models and assets, you can buy these things for the cheap. And so that's what he's been doing. That's what this developer for Elements has been doing. He's been buying a ton of stuff. And since he's an animator by trade, that's his, that's his one true, uh, I mean, that's his key skill. Um, <clears throat> he takes these, uh, these models that he's buying and, and, uh, he animates them in some new ways. He redresses them up and makes them very unique just for the game that he's making. So it's just, uh, you know, he's making an open world game that's, you know, about one fourth the size of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And so far, it's just been a one man operation. But now that we're getting involved, you know, we're giving him advances. We're going to grow the team probably to four to six people. Um, and that's going to, you know, greatly speed up development. But still, it's unbelievable that a four to six person team can make a game that's basically one fourth the size of, of uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, but that's kind of where we are nowadays. Um, and all of these teams that we're working with are, are definitely benefiting from the fact that we live in a different world now. It's so different. You know, no longer do you have to build everything from scratch like we did in the 90s. Uh, and no longer also is it all about having the best graphics like we had in the 90s. You know, back in the 90s, it was always a race to who can have the best engine for their game and so on. But nowadays you can release games that, um, you know, that don't have to have the most cutting edge graphics and uh, they can still do extremely well. It's become its own sort of genre or aesthetic uh, to have games that look pixelated or, or hand-drawn or, or retro in some way. So we just live in a very different world now than we did in the nineties. And uh, frankly, I think it's a better world. I I'm inclined to agree with you, particularly given the amount of games, the, the genres of games that people can get their hands on, uh, either through straight purchases, multiple storefronts from anything ranging from Steam and GOG all the way to PlayStation, Switch, Xbox, the standards. Uh, there's just so many games out there to, to have their hands on. And uh, it was Residual that brought this conversation on about you and I. So I'm thrilled to to hear that it was kind of y'all's first efforts here and for context again i want to tell listeners um this game it reminds me a lot of like zeo drifter and some of the 2d sprite based uh platform puzzlers i'm i'm very excited for it 
and I, I can't wait for people to, to see it and to, for myself to go hands on with it. When, yeah. when you see games like this and they do pique your interest, what is the, the process or conversation like in, in terms of approaching them? Are you seeing them at like a PAX style event or a GDC or just on YouTube? I mean, you've answered a little bit, but, but can you go a little bit more in depth about the process of working with these different developers? Sure. Well, I mean, all the games that we've signed so far, we've, uh, you know, we live in a COVID world now and all the game conventions have been closed for the last year and a half. So we haven't been doing anything uh, like that to find the games. They've all, we've found them all online. Like another one that we found online also on, um, on Kickstarter was a game called Below the Stone. Um, and that's another sort of uh, hand-drawn, pixelated sort of retro throwback looking game, but it's got all these interlocking systems and deep, gameplay systems and uh it's gonna be a really fascinating game um so you know we're, we're finding these games online and um we also um like in the case of elements um that game was actually referred to us by pascal um and um that's cool he yeah we well what we do is we within within apache we have a, a pretty cool referral program so people can make money by referring us games. If we sign the game, you get a check. Um, simple as that. So uh, we have we've turned our developers into scouts for us. So uh, <clears throat> you know these guys are all deeply ingrained in the indie scene. So they're really really good at spotting spotting nuggets. And uh, so Elements is definitely one that that came from the referral program that we have within our company. And uh, you know as soon as I saw that game, um, I was really kind of just blown away by by the look of it, by the animation, uh, by the, the, the story that was being put into place. So, uh, you know, we reached out to that author. He's based in uh, Nova Scotia, Canada, and um, it took about six weeks to, to put together put together a deal with him. So, um, that's one of our that's one of our gems for sure in our in our catalog. Um, I forget what the question was. So I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I forget what the question was too. I, my mind is racing to all the next questions because this is so cool. I want to talk about that referral program. I want to talk about elements. Let's focus on elements for a moment. Uh, in looking at screenshots from this game, this is a third person adventure game. Uh, it is reminiscent of some of the more bright and colorful looking games. I'm thinking about Breath of the Wild for a very good reason. Uh, given the voice talent that you have uh, behind one of the characters being Patricia Somerset from uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, talk to me about elements and what you've got going on for it. Well, uh, yeah. Tell me about this game that, that, that has a lot of things you could touch on. What you got? <laughs> well, I mean, um, the developer really struck us as being just really, I mean, really all of our developers are in the same boat. They're all very passionate about their projects. And um, the developer for uh, uh, Elements uh, is, is no exception. Uh, his name is Devin, Devin Parsons. And uh, he's really kind of trying to make a game that um, uh, <clears throat> kind of brings a lot of his family values to the game. So it's, it's almost like, he wanted um, a bit of a moral story that his children, he's got a boy and a girl uh, mm -hmm. to learn from. And, uh, and his actual girl is the same name as the, the female, the star of the game, uh, Naya. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he was actually having 
his daughter, who's nine years old, uh, do the voice work. That's who you hear in, in, in this, in the trailer that's, that's, um, that's on steam now, um, the older trailer. And, uh, and so we, 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 uh, you know, here at Apchi, we were, you know, reviewing the trailer and, and what his plans were to voice that character. And he thought that he could have his daughter do it. And we were like, you know, she's only nine. She's probably not going to give the best voice performance. Um, and, you know, let's think about some other people. And mm-hmm. it turns out that one of the guys that works with Apchi, uh, Jaron Moore, he used to do, he used to be the producer of the Traveling Symphony for Nintendo that did the Zelda Symphony, uh, you know, they had played in New York and London and Dallas and L.A. And uh, <clears throat> he got to know a lot of people within Nintendo really well, including Patricia. They were actually friends. And so, it, you know, it occurred to him, maybe she would like to do something like this. And so he reached out to her, kind of gave a little background on the game and everything and on the character. And Patricia just seemed to be like overjoyed to be uh, to be considered for this. And so we had some calls with her. And uh, it just all fell into place. So, you know, we couldn't be more thrilled to have someone with that level of uh, talent, uh, you know, associated with this game. Um, and, uh, you know, for the game itself, um, it's an open world game. You get to explore it in any way you want. Um, you've got these uh, sort of nature based elemental stones that have been captured by, of course, the bad side. And uh, your quest is to sort of regain control of these because in the wrong hands they can lead to the whole kingdom of uh elementia uh to uh to go the wrong way um and uh so <clears throat> the game's got all these different areas and cave systems and landscapes and uh you know to explore there's lots of puzzle solving there's crafting um you know of course there's there's combat um and each time you gain uh, each time you recover one of these uh, crystals, in whatever order you decide to do it, it actually gives you sort of a new talent or ability. Um, mm-hmm. So we think that by having it, by by doing that, it adds uh, like a level of replayability in the game because if you if you gain the crystal of light uh, before you know at first, that's going to give you certain abilities. And if you replay the game, you might gain you might go get the crystals in a different order, and then you'll have these. Uh, certain abilities uh, earlier in the game than you did uh, the first time you played it. So, mm-hmm. uh, and also you can play as uh, as uh, Naya's brother too. And we're also looking at putting uh, a co-op mode in the game to where you can play uh, both at once. How exciting! How right. exciting! And, and given the the weight and the talent that someone like Miss Somerset has, given the ambition of the game, but also the scope, I think that's a, a really cool thing. And all the more noticeable in your story is just how creative and loving games can be, but also how small the the gaming world is and how you guys got connected. And, and uh, I really, I, I love that idea. It, does it stand out to you? I guess on the outside looking in, it stands out to me how well or how small the gaming community can be. Is that something that you see also? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right on the money there. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's actually really nice in that, um, uh, it, it, it seems like it's not too difficult to reach out to people. Um, and, uh, and it just seems like, you know, if I don't personally know someone, I know someone who's going to know someone. Um, mm-hmm. so I, it, it rarely, it rarely ever seems I'm more than one degree removed from, you know, reaching out to someone that, uh, that we might want to get involved with one of our projects or that can help us in some way. 
um, or some sort of talent, you know, voice talent or artistic talent or just whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, this this industry, I mean, you know, it's 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 it makes more money, it seems, than uh, than the film industry. But on the other end, it, it does seem to be a pretty tight community to a pretty small, pretty small industry in, 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 the, in the fact that everyone seems to know everyone. Brilliant. Brilliant. Residuals, you know, September 9th elements is sometime in 2022 at this, t- at this point in development where we're, we're thinking it's going to be, and you guys have several other games in your pantheon uh, that, that I want to touch on, but you mentioned the referral program earlier. That is the first time I'm hearing of something like that within gaming. Is that my ignorance talking? Is this something that happens commonly or is this something that is more specific to Apogee? Uh, I can't imagine that we're the only ones doing it, uh, but I don't think I've heard of this before. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but it just makes sense that, you know, we're working with these developers who, like I said, they're out there, you know, amongst the grass, you know, where all this stuff is happening in, in the indie scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, you know, they've got their their own like Discord servers and Twitter files and, you know, people are reaching out to them. They're reaching out to people. So, you know, they're going to spot things that maybe we don't spot. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've just made it very clear to them that, hey, if you spot something and you refer it to us and we end up signing it, uh, you benefit from it. That's neat. That's neat. If listeners go and, and visit the Apogee Entertainment website, uh, they're treated to a, a bit of humor, I thought. And I got a little head chuckle as I looked at the 21, 21, 10, 2021, 2022 showcase video you guys have, uh, where John St. John, the original voice of Duke Nukem, kind of narrates what it is you guys have done and you're looking forward to. And there's other games on display apart from Residual and... Uh, I got a good chuckle out of those too. Secret Agent was one that stood out with a James Bond inspired theme song, but the game looks nothing like I would have expected. Right. Well, I mean, that game was actually made 30 years ago. Um, and, what? Uh, what? Yeah, yeah that was one of our, shining. that was one of our original releases in the nineties. Uh, so um, we've remastered it. So it looks, you know, a lot better. We've added music to it because the original release didn't even have any music. Um, we added a whole fourth episode to it. We've added uh, better save and restore functions. We've added uh, a way for you to make your own levels now. So it's got a level editing tour uh, uh, tool that you can now share levels. And there's literally been, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of levels that we've seen already shared out there. So, um, you know, we can do things now that we didn't even think about doing back then. And uh, so what we're doing is we're, is we're kind of cherry picking some of the better games that were released in the 90s. And um, we actually don't even own the rights to these games. What we do is we go back and actually we approach the original authors and um, and we you know basically have to cut a new deal with them and say, hey, you know, uh, we'd love to remaster your game and. You know, and you'll get obviously a, a royalty share out of it and everything. And so, so far, everyone we've, uh, uh, you know, that we've approached has agreed because uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, why not? Um, so, uh, yeah, we've done Crystal Cave so far. We've done uh, Secret Agent, and we're currently working on um, Monster Bash, which is kind of one of our bigger side-scrolling titles from the the, the early half of the '90s, um, and. Uh, we have a few more on the way also. I'm so grateful for, for for you telling me this, for realizing what it is you guys are actually doing there. Because at the time of this recording, we are 
we, we've already recorded, I've already recorded an interview with uh, members of the old Electronic Gaming Monthly team that now run Player One Podcast. And we talked a lot about game preservation, game restoration, and seeing to it that older titles and franchises don't go by the wayside. To find out that that you guys are also cutting new deals and, and allowing remasters to take place and editing of, of old games, or I should say, uh, be adding to old games to give things like level editors. That's such a good and important element, I think, to this industry, because at the moment, there's not a lot of mainstay systematic preservation from, from one publisher to the next. Things can get lost by the wayside too easily. Yeah, yeah, very much agree. And, uh, you know, we love doing it. It's uh, it's kind of like these are like small side projects for us. Uh, but we have uh, someone really, really good at doing it, uh, you know, do, doing this full time. Um, and, uh, you know, um, these are not, of course, big money makers for us, but, uh, they're more like passion projects for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like I said, we, we love preserving this past that we were once involved with. And, uh, and we do get a surprisingly positive reaction from releasing these games. Um, there's definitely people who, you know, grew up playing these games and, uh, you know, they're super excited to, to see them come back in a sort of uh, improved form um, and with new features. And, and, you know, we add a new episode every time we release one of these things. So you basically get uh, 10 more levels that you never got the chance to play before. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's fun for us. Uh, and, you know, we have a certain set of fans who seem to like it a lot, too. As I mentioned earlier, Residual is what kind of brought us together. That's coming to Xbox One and several other platforms. Uh, my understanding is that it can be complicated getting certain games on certain platforms. Uh, as the publisher, is there, when you're soliciting different developers for games, is there uh, an intention to release a game on a certain platform? Is it entirely up to the developer? Can you push for certain things? Is there something that you guys has, as a publisher prefer certain platforms you prefer well the developer always has the final say uh for a lot of this stuff but we're very much aligned on what we want and you know uh i don't think there's any reason that a developer is going to say well i don't want my game on the xbox or the switch i mean you know they're all for it so when we approach them um they've usually only got one platform in mind usually the the pc we say hey let's try and simultaneously release it uh, on all the platforms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and they love that. So uh, it's not a problem at all. Um, now, there might be some of our games that, for instance, can't run on certain platforms. We haven't encountered that yet, but uh, that could be a possibility in the future. Um, and yes, we have actually found it to be nothing short of a nightmarish process <laughs> to get <laughs> to get uh, sort of signed up with certain console uh, manufacturers uh, mm-hmm. that I won't name, but there's yeah. not that many. No need to name. No need to name. <laughs> uh, it's 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 such a difficult, mind-numbing, complicated uh, traps everywhere, gutches everywhere. Uh, it's just I don't know why it's made to be so difficult. Um, you know, and uh, you know we don't actually we don't even have. An office, you know, we do from home. We work from home, and mm-hmm. there's there's a uh, one manufacturer out there who doesn't want to. Uh, they're having a major problem 
uh, if you have a home address. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, how does, how do, you know, most oh, Indies out there probably only work from home. So how does that make any sense? Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, it's just been one crazy, in my opinion, unnecessary hurdle after another. And uh, the fact that this has been so weirdly difficult, uh, just it, it just blows my mind. I, I wish that these uh, these major console manufacturers would review their processes and be way more, you know, developer or publisher friendly in this respect, because, uh, you know, if I was running these places, I would certainly uh, make things a lot easier because it's just it's just crazy the way it is now. OK, if, if there is a platform, an unnamed platform that is difficult to work with, that implies that there are some that are easier to work with. What can major platform holders do to make your job as a publisher easier? Like what types of types of norms would you hope to see adopted by some of the ones that can be more difficult? Um, honestly, that's, it's my partner, Terry, who's been doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't really have a great answer. Um, he just, I just see, you know, we see the messages uh, sure. within our Apache area, you know, him like, Oh God, another hurdle. They rejected it for this silly reason. Oh, we left a, a period off of here and they rejected us uh all, you know it's just craziness uh so i just hear the bad side of things so I, I don't i don't really have a good answer on the good side fair enough fair enough before i get you out of here there's two games that you guys have currently on your homepage uh that we've not really had a chance to talk about much dead fury and it was mentioned but not much past uh past it uh below the stone uh, anything you want to say about dead fury or what fans uh, might want to look forward to with that one <clears throat> Yeah, Dead Fury, I mean, on the face of it, uh, you know, is, is just basically a zombie survival game, but uh, it's got a lot of unique elements to it. Um, um, <clears throat> and uh, I mean, one of the things that we're really trying to emphasize here is the fact that it's all based in New Zealand. Uh, the developer himself is is, uh, is from New Zealand and lives there. So it's like, well, let's capitalize on this. Uh, you don't really see too many games based in New Zealand. And New Zealand... You know, I've actually been there and spent a couple of weeks there. It has such a huge variety of sort of landscapes from, you know, rainforest to glaciers, beaches, rolling hills. I mean, you know, this is where, uh, 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 you know, Lord of the Rings was mostly filmed. So people have an idea of just all the different sort of variety of things you can find there. It's just an incredible country in, that, in terms of that. So we're really kind of capitalizing on that. Um, and we also uh, feel like we have a really cool sort of unfolding progressive story in the game that has lots of twists and turns in it. Um, you know, you play a protagonist who thinks he's on the right side, uh, trying to find the cure and everything, and turns out you're working for the wrong guys. And anyway, that's oh that's, man, that's how that's how they get you, Scott. That's how they get you right there. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, every side seems to have its own sort of uh, bad motives and. Uh, so this kind of unfolds during the whole game. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we're going to have like a skill tree system in the game, um, an economy in there uh, for, for, for dealing with different things. Uh, anyway, the game's going to have a lot of fun elements and we're going to keep it very raw too. So it's not going to be like an overly complicated game. Uh, we want you to be able to dive in and start having fun right away and make progress right away and see new landscapes, you know, uh, so it's going to be a very sort of fast moving game. Uh, you're going to see a lot, uh, do a lot, learn a lot, a lot of lore. Uh, the story's kind of cool. We actually explain 
you know, how this whole thing got started on earth. There's a great story that, that kind of, uh, that I don't think has been seen like in a zombie game before that kind of like explains it really well. <clears throat> so yeah, there's a, it, 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 I think it's gonna be a really, really fun game. Awesome. 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 Well, uh, Scott, Scott Miller, founder of the newly reformed Apogee Entertainment. Uh, very fortunate to have had you on uh, this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything you'd like to plug social wise or, or places that players should look for uh, upcoming games or content? Uh, I mean, we have a web page, uh, apogeent.com. So there's three E's in there. Uh, and uh, that, that has the links to all of our social media that if people want to check it out. So uh, that's the place to go. Excellent. Excellent. Now we'll once again, plug the game residual coming out uh, this week at the time this interview launches on multiple platforms. That's the game that brought you and I together. That's from orange pixel. Uh, Scott, once again, thanks for joining me, man. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.